Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we are doing part two of opening your restaurant. So stay tuned. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Before we get started, let me give you an update on how things have been going. I just got back from San Francisco and I was over there speaking on a panel conference for hotel asset managers. So for people that don't know what that is, an asset manager is basically the person that's the liaison between a hotel owner and like a hotel GM or whatever is the operators. I was on a panel to discuss food and beverage trends where they're going, how to deal with their chefs, what's innovative, what's new, what's going on in AI. Anyway, I was there. It was fun. I had, I was like 24 hours in San Francisco, had to find somewhere to eat. I ate really good pizza. I, I want to say that the name of the place was empire pizza. It was a Sicilian style pizza. It was excellent actually. And for people that don't know, Sicilian style is like the, you know, thicker crust, almost like a pan pizza square or rectangle in this case, but anyway, it was excellent. So shout out to those guys. That whatever they're doing, it's really fucking good. So I also ate at another place called Della Rosa Pizza. I couldn't tell you where in San Francisco I was downtown. Anyway, I stumbled upon it. Someone said, go there. I don't know how I got there. I didn't have GPS. I just stumbled in, ate some pizzas. Also excellent. I gotta say Empire was better. Anyway, nonetheless, the food in San Francisco is good. I, I forget how good the food is there. I think they just have a better frame of reference there of what good food is, right? So I... I think San Francisco, even though they, the city did get a little bit snubbed by many awards recently, I, I still think it's one of the strongest food cities in the country of the United States. Maybe even one could make an argument that it is the strongest. You know, obviously, the argument goes New York, San Francisco. Anyway, we digress. What else have I been up to? I started writing the new book that I'm working on. It's currently titled Bad Sue good chef. So bad Sue comma good chef. And the way that I decided to write the book is, uh, it's a conversation between a sous chef and his current chef as the sous chef's getting ready to leave to go to another restaurant. And he's nervous about not being a good sous chef. He's afraid he's a bad sous chef. So it's a conversation between the two. And really what inspired this conversation is a lot of the, the weekly cigar Sundays that I do where we sit down and we go back and forth and I get a lot of questions. I notice a lot of the questions are repetitive. And it's hard for me to give a long format answer in, in an in a Instagram 
reel or not a reel, an Instagram short story, sorry, which is only a minute. And sometimes I'm like, I got to answer. I'm looking at the, the little timer and I'm like, shit, I got to hurry up. And a lot of times I don't, I, I mean, I'm putting thought into the answers, but I want to put more thought into the answer. And there's a different gear that I go into when I'm writing versus when I'm speaking. You know, my podcast gear is different from my Instagram gear, which is different from my being in the kitchen gear, which is different from my writing gear. And I feel like when I'm writing, because I'm able to go back and reread what I say and edit, I'm able to put the most amount of thought into what I'm writing versus different things. So anyway, that book is coming out. I'm excited about it. And for people that have been asking, because a lot of people ask me, how do you crank out books so fast? So I'm going to share my secret with you. When I'm writing books, and this has nothing to do with opening a restaurant. This is just anecdotal. But when I'm writing books, what I do is I, I get a bunch of sticky notes and I just put them on a big whiteboard and say, okay, we're going to write about this. So I list out all the things that I want to write about every day. I just put a sticky note in front of the computer. I make sure I sit down and write, even though sometimes I don't want to. And, and that's actually most days I don't want to. I just, it's more about the habit of getting into it. And some days I write shit. Like I'm looking at it's like, the fuck is this? This is terrible. But anyway, nonetheless, I force myself to sit down and write. The next thing I do is, you know, before I used to have an editor and now, you know, I used to have a lot of problems with my editors in the first couple of books. I, I noticed they would not catch all the typos or grammar or whatever. And so now obviously open AI is much more efficient. So I'll cut what I write, paste it in AI and ask it to edit for me, which probably was what these people were doing anyway. I think my editor was using an AI software, but now it's like I'm in control of that. I use AI software to, to edit my words. So anyway, that's how I write. And then when it comes to typing, because a lot of people say, oh, don't you get tired of typing? No, I don't. And the reason I don't is sometimes I type, but not always. A lot of times I use the dictate button that's on Microsoft Word. So I could just speak into the microphone. And obviously I'm used to doing that with podcasts. So that's my writing secret. But anyway, I wanted to share that with you for people that are maybe interested in writing your own books. That's how I do it. Okay. Anyway, we, we digress. Now let's get into opening your restaurant. And I should say that this is, this probably should have been a series more than just the last episode in this one. So you should go back and listen to episode 21 restaurant mental exercises. That one really should have been the first one in this whole series, because that episode takes you through the process of, have you thought of everything that needs to go into your concept? Did you think about the plate word? Did you think about the uniforms? That episode just kind of walks you through the process of everything that you would need to go through mentally to design and visualize your restaurant. The other two episodes that you should go back and listen to is number 19, how to create your kitchen culture. So I'm going to gloss over that in this episode, but basically in episode 19, it's how to get everyone to work on the same standard. I won't get too much into that in this episode because I already covered it in episode 19. So that should also be a part of this series. And then also go back and listen to episode 23 on marketing yourself as a chef, because obviously without marketing, you know, you run the risk of getting lost in the noise. So marketing is a differentiator. Those three episodes along with the last one, which is part one, should go with this one, which is part two. But the main focus of this particular episode is going to be what happens now that you're in the building. Usually what happens is all the equipment starts arriving. You got to put away all the boxes. You got to wash all the small wares. And normally the, 
the week before opening and about, or actually probably like the month, depending on how soon you get access to the building, about a month before opening and about the next two months after that are probably going to be the most difficult period unless you're closing the restaurant. Like, so the opening and the closing is really the most difficult part. So opening sucks, closing sucks, but let's just talk about opening for a second. The first three months of operation, so one month prior to opening and two months post-opening are going to be the most difficult. Let's assume you're in the building. You have to set your kitchen up. You have to organize it. You got to wash all the small wares. You should have already created training manuals for your staff, culinary team, and service team. And that will usually be some sort of, you know, depending on what you call it, the recipe book, the use record, the pickup chart, the menu syllabus. Everyone calls it something different. But nonetheless, you should have some sort of documented packet that you could give to your staff that has a photograph of the recipe that has the ingredients of the recipe that has the allergen so is there allium is there dairy whatever the case may be to make sure that they know that this dish has this in it so they can explain that to the guest is there a narrative or some sort of story that goes with the dish so you can say oh yeah these truffles were forged over here or you know we found these deer in the woods for you know the salad that we're making inspired by renee redzepi all those things Definitely important. So you want to make sure that you have some sort of narrative marking on the table. So does it get a fork? Does it get a, a knife? Is there any special touch points? All that should be in your menu syllabus, right? So you could give that to your service team. You give that to your culinary team so they know what they're doing. They should have recipes and so on and so forth. Hopefully you've done all that before opening and you're not doing that right before. Then you're going to go into training. And in my opinion, you should do some sort of slideshow presentation, menu training without them tasting first. Get everyone familiar with the stories, get them familiar with you. Make sure that they're taking good notes, let them see the photos of the food. I'll do all that on day one because what I've noticed if you let them taste right away, a lot of times people just focus on eating and not really paying attention to what they're tasting. So I spend a, you know, a good portion of the day educating them on what the culture is, what the standards are, what the food's gonna look like, go through all the non-negotiables of the restaurant. And then the next day I focus on the tasting. I let the cooks prepare as many of the dishes as possible because they are going to be the ones that are preparing it. Then you get into what's known as mock service or friends and family, whatever the case may be, call it whatever you want. But that is basically training for you and your staff. And there's a couple of different ways to do that, but Sometimes it's like you invite friends and family. Sometimes it's just staff. Sometimes you, you know, you invite people and you give them 50% off. Sometimes it's all comp. That depends on you and, you know, what your budget is and what you want to do. If you can, I mean, the more training your staff has, the better. There's a cost associated with that. It gets more expensive the more you train, but obviously the more you train, the better you will be when you open your doors. There's different ways that you could do that. So let's just say you're using your staff only. You could have an A team and a B team. So for example, the A team goes and eats and the B team cooks and serves and then they flip. So A team, B team, or it could be, you know, the friends of the people that work there, or it could be people that you invite, et cetera. What you really want to do is you want to make sure that you're getting feedback from the people that are eating. And you also want to make sure that you're stress testing the operation. So you want to push the culinary team and the service team to their limit because you want to find out what the breaking point is before you open. You don't want to find that out after you open. You gradually increase the covers. So again, let's just say you're doing this for three days. On day one, maybe you're doing 50 covers. On day two, maybe you're doing 100 covers. And then on day three, maybe you're going 
you know, depending on what the two previous days are, maybe you're going up to 150. I'd rather fail in pre-mock service than in actual service. So if you find out, hey, we pushed to 150, but our sweet spot is 100, then when you open up, you say, okay, we're going to start at 100 until we're confident enough to go back to 150. Because you do only get one chance to open correctly, and everyone is going to come out to the new restaurant. Everyone wants to go to the new restaurant and try the food and judge them and get on social media and say they were there at the hot new restaurant. Not understanding that, hey, we're still like operating with training wheels. We're still trying to figure this shit out. They're, people don't care. Like they don't understand that. They're going to judge you harshly. Oh, it didn't have enough salt or it didn't have this. It's like, okay, it's pre, it's like week one or pre-opening or mock service. So keep that in mind. Another thing to keep in mind when you're doing mock service and pre-opening is that you need to make sure you have very specific guidelines on how you want people to order. If you just give people a menu and a free-for-all, they could order whatever they want. They won't order like your typical diners because people order differently when they have to pay it versus when it's comp. I know I've been in pre-openings where it's like, okay, you could order whatever you want. We're taking care of the whole thing. And people will order like, you know, lobster and shellfish plateaus and big old steaks. And it's like, that's not how you would really order if you were paying for it for yourself. Like, let's get a tin of caviar for each of us. Let's order everything on the menu. If you want to stress test the kitchen, yes, but it's not a true test of what they're actually going to go through. So you want to make sure that if you can, what I would do is like, I'd have menu one, menu two, menu three, and I would black out certain things on the menu and say, okay, if you've got menu one, these are the only things you could order. You also might want to say, you're only allowed to order you know, like a normal person, you might, you guys, you know, for every two people, you get to share two appetizers or one appetizer, whatever the case may be, three appetizers, you get one entree, one side and half a dessert per person. So if there's two people, you get one dessert and you got to share it because if not, people start ordering crazy. Right. And the reality is most restaurants don't operate like that. So you want to kind of manage it a little bit so that you get a true stress test of what opening night's going to look like. Now, when you go into the opening phase, I think one of the things that that I do is I always staff one and a half times what my normal staffing needs would be. So it, let's just say let's just say I need ten cooks in the kitchen. I'm going to hire fifteen because I know about five people are going to quit because it's too hard. Long days, long hours. Everyone's working crazy. People are on their feet all day. It's chaotic. It's stressful. No one knows what they're doing. People crack and they say, you know what? I'm not coming back tomorrow. People are going to quit on you with no notice. They're just not going to come back. You're not going to see them again. They're going to be a ghost. People are going to break down in the walk-in and start crying because it's hectic and, you know, tempers are high and all this is going on. So you have to understand that, that chaos of opening is going to break a lot of people. So when you're hiring you need to hire more. Like I said, one and a half is usually what I go. But I mean, if you have the ability to go two to one, do that because you're going to lose people. After about two months or so, it starts to settle and the turnover should turn down significantly. But plan on losing a lot of your staff in the initial phases of the opening process. Keep that in mind, overstaff. From a service team standpoint, you'll normally get you know best of the best. For some reason, Service teams always want to work at the hot new restaurant, probably because they make the most amount of tips initially. And then like, if you go to a restaurant when it first opens up and it's the hot new restaurant, they got like the best servers in the city. And then you go back to that same hot restaurant, like 
a year later, it's like the worst servers in the city. Like, what the fuck happened? Where'd all the good servers go? It's like, oh yeah, it's, uh, it's the nature of the beast. They come in and they go out, right? They go to the next hot new restaurants. Something, you know, it's side tangent, but it's very relevant to this conversation. I came across this website called Kitchen Confidentials. And what it is, it's like a rate your employer app, Glassdoor kind of thing, right? For culinary industry, it's like, I worked here, I got paid this is what the environment was like. And when you're opening up a restaurant, I think when you have apps like this is the way of the future, right? So social media and all that creates much more transparency in this industry. So I think if you are opening up a restaurant, you need to be aware that your kitchen culture and your restaurant work culture needs to be positive from day one. Because if not, you're going to have a very hard time recruiting. And I only see things like that becoming more and more prevalent in this industry in all industries really but specifically in the culinary world because that's what we're talking about i do expect that you are going to see things like that so if you open up a restaurant and then you have 10 negative reviews saying you know the owner's a jerk the chef's a jerk right the sous chef's a jerk no one liked working there they were mean to me blah 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 they don't pay well don't go work there it's going to hurt your future business right it's going to hurt your reputation and your community to get staff this episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You want to make sure that from day one, you are building that good workplace culture, knowing that it's going to be intense and stressful and chaotic. Keep that in mind. Now, the other thing that, and again, this is just my opinion, but if I'm opening up a restaurant, I want to be the top paying place in the city, right? Because when you pay the most, you don't got to argue and negotiate with people. Like you're paying the most, you're going to get the best of the best cooks and chefs to come work for you. Knowing that you're going to have turnover, eventually it kind of settles down and then you go back to one-to-one. -one. But initially, I think you want to be paying the most. And, you know, eventually that changes when things open up and, and someone else is going to come on and they're going to be the highest paid kitchen in the city. But I think initially for me, I always wanted to be the most expensive restaurant. And I also wanted to be paying the most because here's something, and this is just my opinion, but this has also been my strategy. People don't ever say, Let's go order the second most bottle of champagne. When someone wants to flex, they say, give me the most expensive thing. Give me the most expensive whatever on the menu. I want the most expensive steak. I want the most expensive caviar. When people want to flex, you need to allow them the ability to flex. So I always thought, I'm going to, if you want to flex and show off your money, I will be more than glad to take it. So let's be the most expensive. I don't want to be known as the second most expensive. No one ever says, let's go to the second most expensive restaurant, especially if they want to flex. Right. So that would be my strategy there. The other strategy, and maybe that's not your model. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're a casual spot. So that doesn't matter, but let's assume maybe for this conversation, your high end be high end. Casual, forget what I said. The other thing is people never say, let's go work at the place that pays second. Like they all want to work at the place that pays the most. No one wants to work at the place that is silver medal second best. If you are at the top, you are the apex, everyone's going to want to come work for you. 
it's a no-brainer. You will have fewer staffing issues if you open up and you say, let's just do it right from the beginning. Let's pay the most, right? And it's good for everyone. It's, uh, trust me, we could have a whole conversation about this. But anyway, I always think pay the most, have a good workplace culture, and that will solve a lot of the issues moving forward. Anyway, things to think about. And then finally, when the doors open and things start to settle, my advice is don't start out with the most difficult menus because things are not going to go well. You're going to have to change things on the fly. Cooks are still learning. You can start introducing the difficulty as time goes on. And you also have to understand, like, is the city, like, if, is the city ready for what you're trying to do? Is it a proven concept or do you have to prove it? Something that you need to think about. What I recommend is every day after service, you sit down your culinary team, that's the leaders. And you also sit down with the service team leaders and you discuss every single point of failure that happened. And you discuss it and you find solutions because if you're not finding solutions to problems early on, they will become big problems later on. So let's just say you have a dish on the menu. This dish is too many touch points and it's too complicated and the cook, it always crashes the line and everyone falls behind when they order that oh shit dish. Like they ordered, fuck, they ordered the oh shit dish. They solve it like on day one. Don't let your ego get in the way. Get rid of it. Put it on the menu later when everyone gets better. But if there's a dish that's crashing the kitchen on, on opening week, then get it out of the way. Like unless it's like the number one dish like you're a steakhouse and it is the you know the steak then okay maybe that's a different story but solve it quickly try and solve these problems as quickly don't let your ego get too attached to specific uh, dishes or ways of operating if things don't work right away unless you know that hey you know what it'll take time but this is going to work in the long run maybe it's a good idea those are all things that i think people need to consider when opening up a restaurant treat your team well stock up the fridges with you know, coffee, Red Bull, water, snacks, whatever the case may be, make sure people are nourished, hydrated, and energized, ready to go, awake and ready. And then, you know, I talk about this in the culture episode, but make sure that you establish boundaries from the jump. So if people color outside of the lines, you correct them right away and they know that this is the way it's going to be. Last thing that I'll talk about on this podcast with regards to opening up a restaurant and the team is make sure you have a solid stewarding dish team and treat them well because there's nothing worse than opening up a restaurant and you got dishes stacked to the ceiling and the dishwasher walks out and now your cooks that are exhausted and your servers that are exhausted have to clean up the stewarding area and they're going to be like, okay, I'm definitely not coming back. So consider all those things. Anyway, let's wrap it up. I hope you enjoyed this series on opening up a restaurant. If you feel free to comment on here. I think there's a comment box if you're listening on Spotify. Make sure you leave five stars on this episode, on all episodes, right? Chef's PSA is only a five-star podcast. Go back and listen to episodes 21, 19, and 23. Those are the episodes that kind of are included to help you open up a restaurant as well. So mental exercises, creating kitchen culture, and marketing, all important when it comes to opening up a restaurant. And then lastly, if you want to support the show, go to chefspsa.com. You can get all the books, all the merchandise, everything that we do. We have the two free eBooks. So culinary dictionary and also 100 basic recipes, go get culinary leadership fundamentals, the book or kitchen art of war. If you are a strategist anyway, thank you all. See you next week and hit the porno music.